Prologue to Seven Keys to Baldpate by George M. Cohen. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Seven Keys to Baldpate A Mysterious Melodramatic Farce. Characters in order of their appearance Elijah Quimby read by Zach Hoyt Mrs. Quimby read by Joanna Michael Hoyt William Hallowell McGee the novelist read by Andrew Gantz John Bland the millionaire's right-hand man read by son of the exiles Mary Norton the newspaper reporter read by Devorah Allen Mrs. Rhodes the Charming Widow, read by the Story Girl. Peters, the Hermit of Baldpate, read by Alan Mapstone. Myra Thornhill, the Blackmailer, read by Jen Broda. Lumax, the Mayor's Man Friday, read by T.J. Burns. Jim Cargan, the Crooked Mayor of Rutan, read by Larry Wilson. Thomas Hayden. The President of the R&D Suburban RR, read by Thomas Peter. Jiggs Kennedy, read by Christopher Feckler. Cop, read by David Purdy. The Owner of Baldpate, read by Mike Manalakis. The scene is laid in the office of Baldpate Inn. Time, the present. Seven Keys to Baldpate, Act One. At rise of curtain, the stage is bare. No lights on the stage except the rays of the moon shining through glass door and the sky above. The wind is heard howling outside. The effect is that of a terrific storm taking place. Everything within the scene proves that it is a deserted, desolate spot. In fact, an inn, a summer resort, on the mountains, closed for the winter. After thirty seconds, Elijah Quimby appears at glass door upstage and is seen swinging a lantern. He does this as if guiding someone who is following, a sort of a signal to Mrs. Quimby, who presently appears trudging behind him. He hands her the lantern, while he fumbles with a bunch of keys he has taken from his pocket. She gives him a light from the lantern while he finds the right key and unlocks the door. As the door swings open, the wind is heard howling unmercifully. He holds the door open for her to enter, then follows her in, closing the door. They both stamp their feet to get them warm. Mrs. Quimby goes down right center, holding the lantern and peering round the room, then goes up right and to center, and down to table left, on which she places the lantern. Quimby, after locking the door, goes slowly down left to table, meanwhile stamping feet, removing earmuffs, and placing cap 
and mittens on table. Mrs. Quimby removes her mittens, and they both stand rubbing their hands and ears. All this business is done without a word being spoken. The reason for it is to prove to the audience that the night is bitterly cold, and that the two people are half-frozen after their climb up the mountain. Quimby, at table left, right of Mrs. Quimby, shivering. You know, Mother, I think it's colder in here than it is outside. Mrs. Quimby, shivering. I, I was going to say the same thing, Elijah. Maybe we'd better open the door and let in some warm air. You better not. The snow will blow all over the place. See if there's any logs over there and we'll build a fire. Indicates fireplace with a nod of her head. Quimby starts right, stops, and stamps his feet. You know, Mother, I think my feet are froze. I can't feel them when I walk. Knocks hands together. Town clock. Ready. I don't wonder after that climb up the mountain. Lord, I'll never forget this night. I'm about perished. She straightens chairs, etc., while Quimby is looking for logs. Any logs there? Yep, plenty of them. I got this thing already anyway. I was going to build a fire when I was up here last week. I'll have them blazing in a minute if I can find them darned matches. Searches through his pockets. I can swear I put a box of them in my pocket before I left the house. Finds them. Yep, here they are. You'd better light a lamp first so you can see what you're doing. That's a good idea. Clock in distance strikes eleven while he is scratching the match and lighting lamp over fireplace right. Note. Footlights up slightly when lamp is turned up. Mrs. Quimby standing at foot of stairs. Eleven o'clock. Yep, that's what it is. Eleven o'clock. Goes upstage and looks through glass door. That train's been in over twenty minutes already. I suppose it's the storm that delays him. Tained over a ten-minute walk up the mountain from the depot. Comes down right center. Mrs. Quimby goes to right near desk. Maybe the train's late on account of the storm. No, I heard it signal the crossing at Asquewan Junction a half hour ago. That fellow will be here before we know it. Hands her matches. Light the other lamp, will you, Mother, while I get at this fire? Mrs. Quimby takes matches and lights lamp up left near stairway. He builds fire in fireplace. Both are busily engaged in fixing room, heating and lighting it during the following conversation. Maybe we should have gone to the depot to meet him. Quimby, going center. No, we shouldn't have done nothing of the kind. The telegram just said to come here and open up the place and have it ready for him. Them's the instructions, and them's the only thing I follow is instructions. Start towards right. Mrs. Quimby, going center. But what do you suppose anybody wants to be doing in a summer hotel on the top of a mountain in the dead of winter? Mother, you know I can't figure out nothing. Goes up to door, peers out, then comes down to Mrs. Quimby. If I could, I'd have been a multimillionaire years ago instead of an old fool caretaker. Goes nearer to Mrs. Quimby. Dust up a bit there, will you, Mother, and make the place look a little respectable? Goes towards fireplace. She'll be going all right in a minute now. Mrs. Quimby. Dusting with cloth she has taken from the foot of the stairs. What's his name again? McGee, I think the telegram says. Meets Mrs. Quimby at center. McGee? Wait a minute, I'll make sure. Takes telegram from his pocket. Mrs. Quimby takes telegram from him and goes left. Give it to me, I want to read it myself. The whole thing's very mysterious to me. Goes table and sits. 
Reading by Light of Lantern Quimby Goes towards Mrs. Quimby Fire begins to blaze up Of course it's mysterious, but it's none of our business. Mr. Bentley is the owner of Baltpate Inn. If Mr. Bentley wants to permit some darn fool to come to this place to be froze to death by stale air to be frightened to death by spooks, it's his concern and not ours. Turns and looks at fire, which is blazing. Ah, there she goes. She's blazing up fine. That'll warm it up a little. Goes left center to Mrs. Quimby during next speech. Mrs. Quimby reading message slowly. My friend, William Hallowell McGee, will arrive in Asquimont Falls tonight on the 1040. He will occupy Bald Pay Inn, so be prepared to receive him there and turn the key over to him and do whatever you can to make him comfortable. He has important work to do and has chosen Baldpate for his workshop. Follow instructions, ask no questions. Hal Bentley. Quimby has been listening attentively. Sounds like them black hand notes to send to rich men, don't it? I can't understand it for the life of me. Hands telegram back to Quimby. Mother. Mrs. Quimby, over to Quimby Center. Yes? Quimby, right of center. Maybe the father's committed some crime and is coming here to hide. Do you think so, Elijah? I don't know. I say maybe. Well, if that's so, why should Mr. Bentley be interested in such a man? Quimby thinks. I never thought of that. Thinks. Well, whatever it is, it's none of our business, and we mustn't mix in other people's affairs. Goes right. Mrs. Quimby thinks a moment, then comes down near Quimby. Elijah. Quimby looks up. What? Do you think I'd better fix up one of them rooms? Sure, he'll have to have a place to sleep. Here. Gives her key. That opens the linen closet. You'd better fix up that first room to the left. Points to room on balcony right. That's the one Mr. Bentley always takes when he comes. Mrs. Quimby, as she goes toward stairs, taking lantern from table. And you'd better put another log on the fire. Quimby goes towards fireplace. He'll probably be chilled to the bone by the time he climbs that mountain. Do you think he'll find his way alone? Goes upstairs during speech. Oh, he'll find his way all right. The station agent will most likely direct him. Puts log on fire, which blazes up. Mrs. Quimby going up the stairs. Occupying a summer hotel in the dead of winter. It beats all what some people will do. Exit door left, leaving door open. Quimby takes out his pipe and sits thinking near fire. Humph. It's pretty darn mysterious, all right. Lights pipe and smokes. I'll be jiggered if I can figure it out. Mrs. Quimby remains inside room for counts after cue, then comes from room carrying linen and bed coverings in her arms. She crosses balcony to room right of balcony and exits, closing door. Quimby sits smoking and thinking. McGee appears at door upstage and peers through. He is carrying a suit and typewriter case. He puts them down and knocks on window. Quimby doesn't move at first, but sits listening to make sure he has heard a sound. McGee repeats the knocking. Quimby shifts around in his chair, looks up towards the window, sees a form there, then gets up and sneaks along down stage until he gets two foot of stairs, then calls in suppressed tones to Mrs. Quimby. Mother! Mother! No answer from Mrs. Quimby. 
He runs halfway upstairs and calls a bit louder. Mother! Mrs. Quimby appears on balcony, peers over and sees Quimby. You call me, Elijah? Hush, don't talk so loud. Warns her to be quiet. Mrs. Quimby, lowering her voice. What's the matter? They both listen for a second. McGee's third rap comes. Good Lord, what's that? Quimby on stairs. It's him, he's here. He points to door upstage. Who? The telegram, I mean the man. Mrs. Quimby starts down the stairs. Where? At the door. McGee again raps impatiently. Mrs. Quimby urging Quimby down the stairs. Why don't you let him in? Quimby, both come downstairs. Do you think I'd better? Well, ain't that what the telegram said? Why, yes, of course, but... Mrs. Quimby, shoving Quimby toward door. You've got your instructions. Go on and do as you're told. McGee knocks again and rattles the doorknob. Quimby, in a loud voice as he goes up towards door. Yes, yes, just a minute, just a minute. As Quimby goes up to door, Mrs. Quimby comes down left. Quimby unlocks door and swings it open. The wind howls. McGee, carrying the two cases, enters and comes to center and stands bowing, first to Mrs. Quimby and then to Quimby, then drops the cases in the middle of the stage, looks around the room for a moment, wild-eyed, then sees fire burning and goes over to it as fast as his half-frozen legs will allow him. He pulls chair in front of fire and sits warming himself. Quimby's stand center, watching him in amazement. As soon as McGee has entered, Quimby has locked the door and come down right. As McGee sits, Quimby goes to Mrs. Quimby at left center. Mrs. Quimby, aside to Quimby. The poor things have froze. Quimby approaches McGee, Mrs. Quimby following him to fireplace. What's the matter, young fellow? Are you cold? McGee smiles a sickly smile, shakes his head, laughs half-heartedly, then replies. <sighs> Am I cold? I feel pretty rocky, but I've got to laugh at that one. Mrs. Quimby, aside to Quimby. Better give him a drink of whiskey. Yes, I guess so. Takes flask from his pocket and hands it to McGee. Here, young fellow, try a little of this. McGee looks up, sees Flask, and grabs it. Thanks. Takes a long drink. Quimby goes center to Mrs. Quimby. Mrs. Quimby, aside to Quimby. Do you suppose it's him? Quimby, aside. How do I know? Mrs. Quimby, aside. Well, ask him and find out. McGee offers Flask to Quimby. Thanks again. A thousand thanks. Oh, you just put that in your pocket. You might need it later on. Thanks. Mrs. Quimby picks up cases from floor and takes them to table left. You're Mr. McGee, ain't you? Right. What's left of me is still McGee. You expected me, of course. Oh, yes. We got Mr. Bentley's telegram, all right. My name's Quimby. So I surmised. This lady is my wife, Mrs. Quimby. Points to Mrs. Quimby, who crosses to McGee at fireplace. I thought as much. Delighted, Mrs. Quimby. Bows to Mrs. Quimby without rising. Glad to meet you, Mr. McGee. You'll pardon me for not rising, but really, I'm terribly cold. Mrs. Quimby goes to Quimby during the following speech. That's all right. You sit there and get head up. We've been living here in the mountains so long we don't mind the cold as much as strangers do, but even we felt it tonight, didn't we, Elijah? That's right, Mother. This is an uncommon cold night. 
McGee. Rises, removes overcoat, muffler, and hat. Places them on chair. That little trip from the railroad station to the top of the mountain has taught me to firmly believe everything Jack London ever wrote about and everything old Dr. Cook ever lied about. Crosses to left center, looking at everything, very much interested, and rubbing his hands. So this is bald pate, is it? Well, well, well. Mrs. Quimby, right center, aside to Quimby. Don't he talk funny? Quimby, left of Mrs. Quimby. Aside. Yes, acts funny too. Something's the matter with him, sure. Both watch McGee closely. McGee, coming center. You say you received Mr. Bentley's telegram saying I would be here? Yes, it only came about an hour ago, so we didn't have much time to prepare. I didn't decide to come here until four o'clock this afternoon. We were scared most to death getting a telegram in the middle of the night. I'm very sorry to have taken you out on a night like this, but it was altogether necessary in order that I accomplish what I've set out to do. Let me see. The rooms above are equipped with fireplaces, I believe. Looks up at rooms on balcony. Mrs. Quimby crosses center to McGee. Yes, I'm just fixing up one of the rooms. I'll start the fire, too. I'll have it all ready for you inside of five minutes. Crosses to right, gets wood from box, and comes right of Quimby. Lights ready. Oh, I wish you would. Looks round room. Yes, this would be too big a barn to work in. Quimby's look at each other. I'll no doubt be more comfortable up there. Continues to take in surroundings. Quimby, aside to Mrs. Quimby. He says he's going to work. I wonder what he means. Mrs. Quimby, aside, crossing left of Quimby. Pump him. Try to find out. Aloud. Give me the matches. Here you are. He hands her a box of matches. Mrs. Quimby with wood in her arms, starts for stairs, and goes up on balcony. This, I presume, is the hotel office? That's right. McGee strolls around stage, looking at everything carefully. Quimby, watching him closely. Well, well, this certainly is old John H. Seclusion himself. Lights go up. Mr. and Mrs. Quimby together. Good, Good Lord, Lord, where did those, did those lights, lights come, lights from? come Good from? Good Lord, what's happened? Good Lord, what's happened? As lights go up, Quimby darts behind desk right. Mrs. Quimby is leaning over balcony center. Both are frightened. McGee laughs. <laughs> Don't be alarmed, Mrs. Quimby. It's all right. I think I can explain this thing. Mr. Bentley has probably had the power turned on. He knew I'd have to have some real light for this kind of work. Mrs. Quimby exits into room right, on balcony, closing the door. McGee goes to Quimby up right. I suppose you're wondering what the devil I'm doing here. That's just what I was wondering, young fellow. Well, I'll try to explain, although I'm not sure you'll understand. Sit down, Mr. Quimby. Quimby hesitates. It's all right, sit down. Quimby gets chair and places it right center, then sits now, you are not, I take it, the sort of man to follow closely the light and frivolous literature of the day? How's that? You don't read the sort of novels that are sold by the pound in the department stores. Nope. Well, I write those novels. The dickens you do. Wild, thrilling tales for the tired businessman's tired wife. Shots in the night, chases after fortunes, Cupid busy with his arrows all over the place. It's good fun, I like to do it, and there's money in it. You don't mean to tell me. Oh, yes, considerable. 
Of course, they say I'm a cheap, melodramatic ranter. They say my thinking process is a scream. Perhaps they're right. Moves chair out and sits left center. Perhaps. Did you ever read The Scarlet Satchel? Never. That's one of mine. Is it? I've come here to baldpate to think, to get away from melodrama, if possible, to do a novel so fine and literary that Henry Cabot Lodge will come to me with tears in his eyes and beg me to join his bunch of self-made immortals. And I'm going to do all this right here in this inn, sitting on this mountain, looking down on this little old world as Jove looked down from Olympus. What do you think of that? Quimby shakes his head, affecting an air of understanding. Maybe it's all for the best. Of late I've been running short of material. Rises, moves chair to right of table, and goes to Quimby. I've needed inspiration. A title gave me that, The Lonesomest Spot on Earth, suggested by my very dear friend and your employer, Mr. Hal Bentley. What and where is the lonesomest spot on earth, I asked. A summer resort in winter, said he. He told me of Baldpate, dared me to come. I took the dare, and here I am. Quimby, rising and going to McGee at center. You mean you're going to write a book? That's just exactly what I'm going to do. I'm going to novelize Baldpate. I'm here to get atmosphere. Quimby laughs. Ha! Huh. Lord, you get plenty of that, all right. When are you going to start in? Just as soon as I absorb my surroundings and make a few mental notes. You see, I do most of my work in the dead of night. I find I concentrate more readily from midnight on. But I must have absolute solitude. The crackle of the fire, the roar of the wind, and the ticking of my watch will alone bear me company at Baldpate Inn. This all sounds very strange and weird to you, I suppose. How's that? I say you can't quite fathom me. Well, you're here of your own accord, I take it. My dear Mr. Quimby, I'm here on a bet. On a bet? Exactly. I have here an explanation of the thing in Bentley's handwriting. Takes paper from his pocket. Do you care to look it over yourself, or would you rather I'd read it to you? Yes, go on and read it. I like to hear you talk. Sits right center. McGee smiles. Ah, then my personality has wormed its way into your good graces. How's that? I mean to say I evidently appeal to you. Well, I don't know as you particularly appeal to me, but... But what? Quimby laughs, confused. Uh, uh, oh, I, I guess I better not say it. Come on, what's on your mind? Tell me. Well, to be honest with you, I can't figure out whether you're a smart man or a damn fool. McGee laughs. <laughs> Would you believe it, my dear sir? I've been stalled between those two opinions of myself for years. My publishers say I'm a smart man. My critics call me a damn fool. However, that's neither here nor there. This... Indicating paper. ...will perhaps clear away the cloud of mystery to some extent. Oh, perhaps Mrs. Quimby would be interested enough to hear this also. Will you call her, please? Sure. Rises and calls. Mother! Oh, mother! Mrs. Quimby appears at door right on balcony and comes to center of it. Yes, I'm all through. Everything's ready up here. Leans over balcony center. You'd better come up, mister, and see if it satisfies you before we go. It's all right, Mrs. Quimby. I'll take your word for it that everything's all right. Come on down here, mother. Mr. McGee wants to read something to you. Places chair for her right center next to his own. Is that so? Starts downstairs. 
I started the fire, so I guess the room will be comfortable enough to sleep in by the time you get ready to go to bed. Is downstairs by now. Sit down, mother. What? Go on. See, I'm sitting. Mrs. Quimby goes towards Quimby. Mr. McGee is going to tell us why he's here. Mrs. Quimby sits left of Quimby. Is that so? Lord, I'd love to know. I have just explained to your husband that I am an author. I do popular novels, and I'm here to write a story. A story of Bald Pate Mountain, laid in this very hotel, perhaps in this identical room. I am to complete this task within twenty-four hours, starting at midnight tonight. Understand, Mother? He's going to write a book. Mrs. Quimby to McGee. Going to write a book in twenty-four hours? That is the wager that has been made between Mr. Bentley and myself. He claimed it couldn't be done. I claimed it could. Five thousand dollars worth of his sporting blood boiled, and he dug for his fountain pen and checkbook. I covered the bet, and we posted the checks at the 44th Street Club. He was to choose the godforsaken spot. Looks around room. He succeeded. I ran to my apartments, placed some manuscript paper, a dozen sandwiches, and my slippers in a suitcase, grabbed my faithful typewriting machine, just made the train, and here you see me, ready to win or lose the wager, as the case may be. What do you think of that, mother? Mrs. Quimby to McGee. I never heard of such a thing. Here is a copy of the agreement in which you will notice your name is mentioned, Mr. Quimby. Listen. Reads. You are to leave New York City on the 4.55 for Asquan Falls, arriving at 10.40, and go direct to Baldpate Inn, atop the Baldpate Mountain, where you will be met by my caretaker, Mr. Elijah Quimby, who, after making you comfortable, will turn over to you the key to the inn, the only key in existence. To Quimby. Is that correct? It's the only key I know of. There ain't no other key, I can swear to that. Good. Continues reading. This will ensure you against interruption, and give you the solitude necessary for concentration. You are to begin work at twelve o'clock Tuesday night, and turn over to Mr. Elijah Quimby the completed manuscript of a ten-thousand-word story of Baldpate, no later than twelve o'clock Wednesday night. To Quimby. You understand? You're to turn it over to me? Precisely. What do you think of that, Mother? I never heard of such a thing. You know Bentley's handwriting. There's his signature. See for yourself. Hands paper to Mrs. Quimby. Quimby's get up and read it together. McGee's takes stage. It's his writing, ain't it, Mother? Mrs. Quimby, doubtfully. Looks like it, but... Looks at McGee suspiciously. Quimby aside. But what? Mrs. Quimby, aside. The whole thing don't sound right to me. Quimby, aside. Me neither. We better watch this cuss. Mrs. Quimby, aside. I think so, too. Quimby puts chair upright. Mrs. Quimby goes towards table left. Phone rings. Mrs. Quimby runs to foot of stairs, screaming. Quimby hugs the desk, frightened. Good Lord! Quimby over to McGee, up center. Did you hear that? You mean the telephone? Mrs. Quimby runs to McGee. Quimby grabs McGee by the arms. Spooks! Why, that thing's been out of commission all winter. Phone continues ringing. McGee laughs. Let's get out of here, Lodge. McGee laughs. Don't be alarmed, Mrs. Quimby. I think I can explain. Bentley has just about had the service renewed. He probably wants to find out if I've arrived. Excuse me just a moment. Goes to phone and stops buzzer. 
Quimby stands center, watching. Hello, hello. Yes, yes, right on time. Almost twenty minutes ago. Half frozen, thank you. Yes, he's here now, also Mrs. Quimby. Oh, we understand each other perfectly well. It's everything you said it was. The lonesomest spot on earth is right. <laughs>, Laughs. You still feel that way about it, eh? Well, your opinion is going to cost you five thousand, old man. Laughs. <laughs> All right, we'll see. You want to talk to him? Just a second. To Quimby. He wants to talk to you, Mr. Quimby. Quimby goes over to phone. Is it Mr. Bentley? Yes, here you are. Sit right down. He hands Quimby receiver and goes left center, taking notes. Mrs. Quimby goes upright and listens to phone conversation while watching McGee. Quimby, in phone. Hello? Smiles as he recognizes Bentley's voice. Hello, Mr. Bentley. Yes, sir. Yes, sir. I understand, sir. At 12 o'clock? Yes, sir. Oh, I'll be right here waiting. Fine, thank you, sir. We're both fine. All right, sir. Wait a minute, I'll ask him. To McGee, who is on the first landing of the stairs. He wants to know if there's anything more you want to say. McGee, on stairs, taking notes. No, just give him my regards and tell him I'm spending his money already. Quimby, in phone. He says there's nothing else, sir. Yes, sir, I understand. Goodbye, sir. Hangs up receiver and crosses to McGee. He wants me to be here at 12 o'clock tomorrow night to talk to him on the telephone again. McGee laughs as he goes to phone and severs connection. <laughs> and it's very sad news you'll impart to him, Mr. Quimby. I'm going to win this wager. Right. Below phone. You know, this whole thing wouldn't make a bad story in itself. Crossing to left. I'm thinking of using it for the ground plot. Points to door left. Oh, this leads to where? Goes to door of dining room left and opens it. Mrs. Quimby going over toward door. That's the dining room. Leads through to the kitchen. That door to the left goes to the cellar. Goes back to table left. Quimby looks at his watch. Aha, I see. Goes towards Quimby, right center. Have you the exact time, Mr. Quimby? Mine says half past eleven. Thirty minutes to get my bearings and frame up a character or two for a start. Crosses center to right center. Mrs. Quimby picks up suitcase and machine case from table left. Will I put these in your room? No, no, you needn't bother. Oh, it's no bother at all. Starts for the stairs. I'm only too glad to do anything for any friend of Mr. Bentley. Climbs stairs with cases and exits into room right. McGee. Up to Quimby, left center. Now you're quite sure I won't be disturbed while I'm writing. Quimby, left center. Who's going to disturb you here? No one ever comes within a mile of this place till around the first of April except myself, and I only come up about once a week this kind of weather. You don't suppose any of Bentley's Ascoan friends hearing of the wager would take it upon themselves to interrupt the progress of my work? Nobody knows you're here except me and the missus, and we ain't gonna tell no one. I have your word for that. Offers his hand to Quimby. Quimby takes McGee's hand. I never broke my word in my life. Guess that's why I'm a poor man. McGee crosses to right center. The only other time I remember of anybody coming here in the winter was the time of that reform wave at Reuton. 
The reformers got after a lot of crooked politicians, and they broke in here in the middle of the night and hid a lot of graft money in that safe over there. Points to safe. McGee goes up to safe, opens the door, then comes down to Quimby after closing safe door. You mean to tell me the reformers hid money in that safe? No, the politicians. Reformers never have any money. McGee laughs as he goes right. <laughs> Splendid. What are you laughing at? McGee, turning back to Quimby. Nothing, it's all right. Go on, tell me about the hidden graft. Quimby. Mrs. Quimby starts downstairs, bringing lantern and placing it on table left. Oh, there's nothing much to tell. Some fellers up and gave him away, and the police come the next morning and found it here. Nobody claimed it, so of course they never got the gang. They threw a lot of fellers out of office, I believe. I didn't read much about it, but that's over four years ago. You needn't be afraid, you won't be disturbed here. Goes left to table and gets his mittens and cap. Mrs. Quimby is at table, putting on mittens, etc. McGee going slightly right. Grafting politicians, reformers, hidden money. Sounds like a good seller. Mrs. Quimby goes to McGee at center. Quimby takes lantern and goes back of table. Is there anything more we can do for you, Mr. McGee? No, no, nothing I can think of, thank you. I'll be quite... Crossing to Quimby at table, Mrs. Quimby goes to right center. Oh, yes, of course. You've forgotten something, Mr. Quimby. Forgot what? The key. Oh, Lord, yes, the key. Here it is. Hands McGee the key. You're positively certain that this key is the only key to Baldpate in existence? Yes, sir, I'm sure. I can swear to it. Good. What are you going to do, lock yourself in? Precisely. I don't mind staying here and keeping watch for you if you want me to. No, thanks. I'd much prefer to be alone. I'd rather it would be you than me. Lord, I should think you'd be afraid of ghosts. Quimby crosses to Mrs. Quimby. Mother, I've told you twenty times there ain't no such a thing. McGee goes up left. Well, they've been seen here, just the same. McGee goes left center to Quimby's. Ghosts? Oh, don't mind her, Mr. McGee. We think we know what the ghost is. There's an old fellow up here in the mountains by the name of Peters. He's a hermit. A hermit? Yes, he's one of them fellows who's been disappointed in love. His wife ran off with a traveling man. He come here about ten years ago. Lives in a little shack about a mile and a half north of here. Calls it the Hermit's Cave. All the summer boarders buy picture postcards from him. We figure he's the fellow that's been frightening the people down in the valley by waving a lantern from the mountainside with a white sheet wrapped around him. But no one ever proved it was him. Well, who else could it be? There ain't no such thing as ghosts, is there, Mr. McGee? Well, I hope not. Muses. Byplay between the Quimbies. Ghosts, hermits, not bad at all. Well, come along, Mother. I guess maybe Mr. McGee is anxious to get to work. I'll say good night, sir. Offers hand to McGee. McGee shakes Quimby's hand. Good night. And remember, twelve o'clock sharp for Mr. Bentley's phone call tomorrow night. I'll be here on the minute. Goes up center. Mrs. Quimby. Shaking hands with McGee. And I'm coming to see if you're still alive. Lord, I should think you'd be scared to death. Quimby comes down left of McGee. Mother, he will be if you keep on like that. Well, good night, sir, and good luck. Goes up towards door, followed by Mrs. Quimby. McGee goes up to door and unlocks it. Good night. I don't envy you your trip down the mountain on a night like this. Opens door. Wind effect. Good night, sir. Starts through door, followed by Quimby, carrying lantern. Good night, Mrs. Quimby. Keep a sharp lookout for ghosts and hermits. <laughs>, Laughs. Mrs. Quimby, outside. 
Lord, don't remind me, please. McGee slams door quickly, locks it, waves his hand to the Quimby's, then starts looking at Key in his hand. The only one, eh? <laughs> we'll see. Puts Key in his pocket, looks round the room, thinks, then claps his hand as if decided on something, grabs his coat and hat from chair near fire, extinguishes lamps and brackets lights, takes a last look around the room, then exits upstairs into room right on balcony. Black drop down for ten seconds. End of prologue.